Welcome back to Pragmatic Visions. Today we sat down with Land Design's Director of Engineering, Jim Scanlon, and Land Use Attorney, Tony Calabrese, to discuss the role they play in the land planning process. Jim and Tony are two of the essential pieces of the land planning puzzle, engineering and entitlements. Together, along with many other consultants and stakeholders, they combine their expertise in infrastructure planning and real estate development to turn a developer's dream into reality. Keep listening as they share how they leverage their unique perspective and expertise to deliver some of the most ambitious and exciting real estate development projects in the Northern Virginia region. Why is land planning critical to the growth of our cities in both urban and suburban areas? Well, I think uh, one of the reasons is land is finite, and as it becomes scarce, the price increases. And so as the price increases, you have to justify the cost. So you have to increase the value of the development. This usually means you increase the density or you're going to uh, change it to a higher use, a better use, like going through a, a comprehensive plan amendment. These entitlement processes occur both in the urban and suburban areas. And I guess the difference is that there's a higher value placed in the urban areas. Jim, all said as usual. I, you know, I, I remember my mentor was a gentleman by the name of Ed Pritchard. Ed Pritchard, as Jim recalls, was a land use god in Northern Virginia for many yep. decades. He was the mayor in the city of Alexandria. He was a UVA grad. He helped bring George Mason University to the area. And I remember in the old Massey building, yep. I was riding up the elevator with Ed and we were looking out uh, over, the, there was just a whole massive surface parking everywhere. And there was this really tall building right in the middle. It was the, it was the Massey building where the government center was located. And Ed taking an opportunity to mentor a young, completely naive associate, I think I'd been practicing for six months, looked at me and said, Tony, why does this building make no sense whatsoever? And I'm like, you know, Mr. Pritchard, I I have no idea, sir. And he said, well, because this building is so tall, it costs so much money. And there's all the surface parking. I think it was 14 or 15 floors. And uh, it just doesn't make sense. It goes to Jim's good point about the valuation of land. It was kind of a stupid waste of funds for Fairfax County to build such a tall building at the time. And as we were finishing up, we were going up to meet meet uh, Jay Lambert, the, the infamous county executive. There was a woman who was in the elevator who gave both Ed and I a really dirty stare and said, my husband designed this building and then walked out and closed the door. But I never forget that lesson. It was not the right use of county funds. Jim's right. It depends on the valuation and we can increase the value quite a lot. And so talk a little bit about that role that both of you play during that process. I think Jim and I talked a little bit before and he made, I thought, the, the right on point of looking at the different disciplines and what, what role do the major disciplines play for, for our clients. He articulated, I think he's right, there are kind of four key roles. The, the god-awful land use lawyers that, we, that are, seem to be part of any sophisticated land use practice, the land planners, the civil engineers, the landscape architects. There's also, of course, transportation consultants and others, but, you know, we're talking about the great collaboration between firms like DLA and and land design today. So for the civil engineers, they have to look, as Jim has done for many decades successfully, they look at the technical side. How does access work, grading, drainage, utilities? How do you make sure that the project can actually be constructed? And I'll come back to that because that's a really important point. You've got the planners, master planners, landscape architects. They develop the concepts. They create a plan, you know, respecting the site, working collaboratively with the engineers to try and accomplish clients' understandable financial goals. I mean, let's all be honest. This process is about a good capitalist system. And if we're not making the clients money, 
They're not paying us the big bucks to get the job done. So that's critically important. You've got the landscape architects, uh, a lot of incredibly capable ones within within land design who enhance the project. They make it look beautiful. Uh, (laughs) It's absolutely essential. I I always say uh, a picture is worth a thousand words from anybody. If you've got that gorgeous rendering that imparts a sense of attractiveness, of serenity of a place that you want to be. It's all about placemaking. If you have that beautiful picture, it makes it so much easier for the rest of us to get the job done. You've got the uh, the annoying mercenary land use lawyers who participate as well. And we're often kind of the public face between the development team, the client, the development team, all those different wonderful disciplines, the locality, county, town, city, whatever it is, their agencies and, and their planners. So it's it's absolutely essential if you if you want to do a project of any magnitude right that all those disciplines are working together well, openly and effectively. And that's that's something I know that, that Jim and I and our respective firms take great pride in doing together. Tony you briefly mentioned the visual imagery and how that's helpful to the process, but I was wondering, is it more appealing to the public or the government body that you're working with at the time? Uh, good question, William. I mean, the reality is it's important to everybody. It's particularly important to the public entities, whether it's the reviewing agencies, the planners, zoning, transportation consultants, environmental, stormwater, civil engineers, fire and rescue, schools, literally every agency that reviews an application. There go the dogs. So you're going to have to edit it right out. Uh, Jim and I always have a practice of picking a beautiful land design rendering to smack on the cover of any zoning application. I want when a staff coordinator or any of the reviewing agencies, whether it's the planning department, the zoning department, Department of Public Works and Environmental Services, an environmental soils engineer, transportation or VDOT personnel, uh, a county supervisor or anybody on their staff. So even though you may say, why does the soils engineer care about what the project looks like? They care. If they don't care objectively, they care in- intuitively because they they are more likely to be favorably disposed to a project that looks beautiful. And so the beautiful picture from land design is absolutely essential, I think, to the success of, of any zoning application. You want people to be excited about and embrace anything that we're proposing. Now, that doesn't mean that it's just because it's a beautiful picture, it's a done deal. It's never the case or Jim and I would be unemployed, but it's it's an important element for consideration. You know, it's, it's something that I always lead with and I think is really important. And I think the other element that I wanted to highlight, I got sidetracked, um, was the interplay. And, and I know you guys are going to probably ask some questions about it, but the interplay between those four elements that I talked about earlier that, that Jim outlined, the engineers, the architects, uh, the land plan the civils. It, it's critical that you not only have a beautiful picture, but it's essential that you can actually build it. Uh, what behooves nobody, least of all the client, is paying to undertake a zoning process, not having employed the right civil engineers, assuming that the architect or the land planner's vision can be delivered without thoroughly analyzing the specifics of a site, whether it be the soils or the utility capacity. You know, you got to be able to flush toilets <laughs> if you're if you're building a residential play. You got to make sure that, you know, Jim Scanlon has checked the box and that that their sewer capacity, for example. And so having those inner disciplines together, on, particularly under one roof, is so essential. Uh, you don't want to get a project approved. And then it turns out 
there's no sewer capacity or water is $500,000 away and that wasn't in your pro forma or the soils don't work for the type of development that you contemplate. So analyzing all those things early, concurrently, effectively or are really essential to doing a project well. Yeah, Jim, I'd love to hear you just speak about the the process of having all of these different disciplines together under one roof working together. You know, I know coming from, you know, where you did the engineering and the survey separately and then now having the LA and the planning all together, what what has that collaborative experience been like for you? And and what's the value add to our clients to having all of those skill sets under one roof? We had LA in our shop as well before merging with land design, but it, land design takes land planning and let's see architecture to a, a much higher plane than pretty much any of the local civil firms in the area, which which makes it so exciting for us to be part of it. But you know, design is an iterative process. You go you go through cycles of creating something, testing it, refining it, and putting it back out, and it goes around and around. The faster you can go through those cycles, the more design you can fit in at a given time, and the design just gets better as you go on. And the faster you go through it, it costs less. So if you're sitting right next to somebody, you can bounce ideas off of them quickly. You're working in the same uh, same CAD drawings. You don't have to go through email hell going back and forth trying to catch up with somebody. And so the whole process just moves quicker. And we always say it's better when the engineering is built into a project. It's a creative project, but you know it works going forward. It just, it just makes everything flow better. So having it all in one shop is, is really fabulous. What are the unique challenges that the D.C. region specifically is facing when it comes to land planning? Well, I think, um, you know, my family moved down here in 1963 and they gave my dad hell for moving all the way out to Fairfax. Like, why would you move all the way out there? And now it's described as close in. But it's, there's like three big things going on, I think. I think that the urban area downtown is 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 redeveloping. We're seeing new fabulous buildings built and new projects that are coming on. You've got the suburban ring that's now going through redevelopment. I mean, it was already developed for homes and, and communities. You look at Reston, for instance, a, a sleepy bedroom community is now a thriving downtown urban area. It's, it's hold to redevelopment. And now the ring beyond that, the exurbs, the farther out counties are going through you know, the first development cycle, going from farms to single family communities or, or master plan communities. So it's exciting to get all three of those things going on at once. And the pace is just incredibly rapid. I think the D.C. area is very political anyway, and I think that brings a lot of scrutiny to the process we go through. A lot of smart people who care and uh, just makes it a little more challenging up in the D.C. market. Yeah. Tony brought up something. He said, you know, when you're working on more controversial projects, having the right experts all together, working together seamlessly, you know, especially in D.C., what about that market specifically makes the projects controversial? I mean, this is endemic to anywhere in the country in a lot of ways, uh, particularly as Jim alluded to, the more densely populated the region and the more you're proposing, for example, an infill, you have a lot of surrounding interested residents, the more scrutiny you're going to get. Uh, If you're out in the middle of nowhere and there's nobody around, maybe except for farmland, they're probably happy in many respects if it's consistent with the plan to have that business. When you're proposing an infill project of any type, I mean, literally anything, you you could be proposing a (laughs) Chick-fil-A. You can be proposing Amazon HQ2 or anything in betwixt and between. The The more population you have around you, the more interest it's going to generate and potentially the more controversy. One of the things that changed dramatically for, for both uh, me and Jim, and, and he you know, he alluded to the fact that he 
came to the area in 1963. I came in 1964, and I was out in the middle of nowhere. I was at a place called Bailey's Crossroads, which at the time the whole Skyline Center was actually an airport. I used to watch planes fly in and out, and we were in the we were out in the middle of nowhere, and that whole area has has changed dramatically since both Jim and I started practicing many decades ago. Is this thing called the internet? Uh, it used to be that when you had a controversial project, you might have neighbors go knock on each other's doors or they might put up a little flyer around, you know, a bit of the neighborhood. But that's kind of what the Internet is today, because it only takes one person who has an interest or an opposition to get on the Internet and start to make up all kinds of stuff. Some of it might be true, but a lot of it is typically for embellishment. So that's been an interesting challenge. And, and I, will, I mean, the Internet usage in our area, back to your good question, Allison, you know, the Internet usage in Washington and the level of sophistication, we have more PhDs than, you know, pretty much anywhere but maybe Silicon Valley. The level of community interest, the level of intelligence, the level of scrutiny, I, I think, is pretty high in Washington and the surrounds. And it's something that, you know, we have to live with. And so we have to be really careful and transparent and responsive uh, when we're working together and collaborating on a project, particularly if it's got a lot of concern and opposition. Do you think there are any issues that other communities face that have similarities with DC? Yeah, I think everybody has NIMBYs, right? Not in my backyard. You know, why can't this be a park? I think that everybody's heard that before. But the fact of the matter is somebody owns the land and they want to increase the value of it and they generally have a right to do so. So they're going to avail themselves of the process to try and do that. And so I think every jurisdiction faces that. I think DC is just a little bit further down the road, maybe than some places. The opposition around here can get pretty intense, as Tony knows. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of politically oriented people who are sophisticated in government politics and interaction. And so, William, I think it's true everywhere that you go that there are people who pay attention and, and engage in the process, which is great. I think that in DC it's a higher level because there's a lot of folks who realize because they've either been in the government or they had a spouse or a kid or a parent who's been in the government who recognize local governments in particular can be responsive to my thoughts, needs, and desires. And it may be that they're a frustrated politician themselves. They may want to launch their own political career. And one way to do that is to be a citizen activist. So I, I do think there's a, there's a higher level of scrutiny. And we have an awful lot of lawyers living around here, too. Oh, yeah, it's awful. That's, that's, yeah. that's, that's the worst element of D.C. There are not enough engineers. <laughs> there are not enough landscape architects. There are too damn many lawyers. Shakespeare had it right. <laughs> so given that, Jim, what is the benefit of having somebody like Tony on our team? And then, Tony, same question, but what's the benefit of having Jim and, and land design on your team when you're going through this process? You know, engineers, one of the hardest things we have to do is talk. Right. They like to sit in the corner and solve puzzles and, and come up with great solutions. We have a hard time explaining it sometimes. And an attorney can be in front of a crowd, explain things, knows how to, to you know, influence people. I mean, that's, that's their background and training. Um, you need someone to present that. And you also need someone who really understands the political process, who understands who was elected when. Uh, what support do they have in the neighborhood? What are the land use committee members? Who's the planning commissioner? What does their staff think of this? And understand all the zoning staff people and, and the way where they think they're going to come down on a process. I mean, we're looking at things fairly technically. They're looking at things more politically. And that's it's essential or you're just not going to get through. So you need somebody who's just, you know fabulous at doing that. And particularly when you get to public hearings and you know walking a project through in front of a crowd, a hostile crowd, and 
calming them down, explaining the sides and taking it all the way through. That's masterful. And, you know, Tony's Tony's one of the best. Thank you, Jim. You know, I have to say, I, I have had the pleasure and privilege of working with, with Jim in his prior life and, and land design dating back to, I think I was a first or second year associate when I first met Peter Crowley. And I distinctly remember and then one of my other mentors brought Peter in and Peter was just so eloquent and persuasive and reasonable. And then he showed up with because those are critical elements as well. It's not all just about the, the lawyers making a good pitch. It's, it's about the team making a good pitch. But then he showed up with one of his you know, patented land design graphics that showed, you know, these flowing open spaces and these gorgeous rooftops and precedent images that were that all just like got the job done and that's always been my experience over 30 years you know jim and his talented crew are masterful at what you know th there's the art of possible and there's the art of what's achievable too and you kind of have to balance both and i think we're pretty skilled at all doing that together because as i alluded to earlier if, if you can't actually build what it is you're selling you've wasted a lot of time and a lot of money and the client may have hired you once, but they're not going to hire you twice. So we need the reality check early on from the engineering side. We need, you know, the master planning aspects of how does it work and in a way that's consistent with the local master plan, comprehensive plan. And then how do you have those amazing images, which have really, I mean, talk, talk about a change over our 30 years of practice from just some hand-drawn sketches to these computer generated stunning graphics and we've done a lot of projects with land design whether it's at the view for example and tyson's not too long ago a couple of projects that are pending right now uh, i was late for our call this morning because i recommended you guys on on a resort oriented uh, project that i think is really going to be unique and the client was very grateful that i recommended peter and stephanie jim and crew you know, having those persuasive graphics, particularly the the whole higher level videos, fly throughs are just astoundingly beneficial for everybody on the team. It's critical for the land use to get the zoning approved for all the different county agencies to review, as we talked about, the board members of planning commissioners. And it's great for the clients because they want them for the marketing materials so they can go to the investment community uh, or lenders and, you know, get the financing necessary. And then ultimately for the success of the project, because if it's not a unique, different, attractive place making spot, then you're not as likely to ultimately be successful. So it's uh, it's fun and interesting to be part of this process. How do we translate our integrated services into other markets, in your opinion, Jim? You know, I think I think it's going on in the other markets as well. I think the interesting thing is that it wasn't going on in the D.C. market. For many years, I mean, what, uh, my firm, and we worked with land design because land design was doing planning and landscape architecture, urban design, well-respected. And we handled the civil engineering side and projects, but we hadn't really like put the chocolate and peanut butter together up here in this market. And uh, while it works, like we talked about, there's so many efficiencies built into putting them all in one shop and working side by side. So when Peter approached me a couple of years ago and said, hey, we thought about maybe getting putting this together, um, I thought it was a fabulous match. Because it, it just makes it work so much better. But if you explain that this is a new thing to people in Charlotte, they're going to look at you funny because they've been doing it together in Charlotte since the 70s, you know. And I think the Dallas market, they've been doing that since they started. So, you know, at, it makes so much sense to do it all together in-house at a high level that um, yeah, it's just the way to go everywhere. And I'm truly really happy to be able to put that together up here. 
So you have one project you're working on now that is integrated services. Can you talk to that project a little bit and just the experience of working together, um, you and Tony and then the team, Stephanie and the LA team as well? Yeah, this is Metro West. And uh, it's interesting because we'd worked on Metro West as our old firm. We did the site plans and uh, the client would come back and make changes to it. And actually Land Design, they'd hired Land Design separate from us to do concepts and create images. And and uh, when they wanted to go forward, they said, well, you guys are now together, so let's go together with the integrated approach. And Tony is the land use attorney on this project. And um, it just goes so well when you have a, a good team that can work well together. Tony's right, the graphics that get presented are just incredible compared to what we did just a few years ago. And it you know, we're used to reading two-dimensional plans. We understand all those lines mean, and we can sort of visualize what it's what it says. But the general public can't do that. And a lot of the county staff can't do that. So the graphics are and the, the renderings are incredibly important. So this is a project that's just going through the development plan amendment process right now. And I think it's going to be pretty exciting. Allison, I'm still fixated on chocolate and peanut butter. <laughs> <laughs> Metro West is a great example. And we're actually working on a number of other projects. There's a small residential project that we're working on uh, together with uh, the land design planners, landscape architects, and, and civils as well. But it's they're, they're great examples. Like we, we came up with a strategy to run it by because it's critical, as you guys can appreciate. You got to run it by the local supervisor. In the case of Loudoun County or in the case of Fairfax or a lot of these jurisdictions, each of the districts has a supervisor that are in essence like the mayor of a town. You got to go get their imprimatory and make sure that, you know, she or he are supportive for you waste a lot of time and effort. And I knew, and it's been my experience that in addition to doing the reality check on what's possible from an engineering perspective. So with regard to the Belmont case, for example, we had to look at, you know, what Alta survey does exist? What are the setback requirements? What utilities are out there? What's the contiguous road? What are the setbacks from that? And so that helped formulate the parameters uh, of what would be possible. And then Land Design put together some great conceptual plans and some pretty pictures and precedent images. We didn't go all the way to the level of a video, but we came up with some great renderings and we ran them by the supervisor and his chief of staff, and they really liked them. And that, you know, has now launched us into getting ready to submit the application. Metro West, is, as Jim just talked about, is another good example. Um, Land Design has all the, the massing for the buildings and a lot of renderings for that client of similar product that they've done. And we actually literally sat on a Zoom call. It's very interesting to, to do this via Zoom instead of live, but it works well. We sat on a Zoom call and we started at the at the ground level of to come up with a rendering. And we just we didn't think that was the right angle. And so literally on the Zoom call with the land design professionals, they crept it up to probably a little bit too high. I want to say we're up about 30 or 40 feet looking down at the project. And that, that wasn't quite the right angle. And so like Goldilocks, a little too warm, too cold, we, we, we dropped it to about 20 feet off and it was just perfect. It was it gave you the right perspective of what was inside the courtyard of these buildings. The corridor opening looked just perfect. Uh, you could see people walking along the street without seeing the roofs of the buildings. And that's what we said, OK, that's it. And that's what's on the cover of the application submittal. And that's what the local newspapers used in their coverage of the filing of the case. It doesn't mean we're going to get approved. But I know that we work together in just a couple minutes, you know, with the sophisticated applications that, that you guys can figure out and bring to bear. And it worked out really well. So fingers crossed we'll get that one done. I think we've covered majority of our questions. There's one thing I just wanted to flesh out a little bit more is, uh, could you go through the key differences between land planning and master planning, community master planning? 
You know, I think, I think it's really one of scale because it's all planning. It all requires, you know, not everybody can, can look at something and say, what if, and what if we do this and, and really come up with a new idea. Uh, land planning occurs in, on very small sites. You know, uh, a 10 acre redevelopment infill site requires land planning, but I wouldn't call that community master planning. I mean, some of the projects Land Design's working on are 20,000 acres. You know, they're creating a whole new city out of nothing. So I think it's really a matter of scale. They're both planning. They're both highly necessary, but one one's a lot more focused than the than the and the other is so much more broad and, and takes into account so many different things that you wouldn't worry about: transportation networks and rail access and water system. You know, you don't worry about that on a 10-acre site, but you need to consider all that in a community master plan. Um, I did have one last question. Um, you know, right now, DC and high growth markets everywhere are going through a lot of development and redevelopment. Um, you know, what are some challenges that you anticipate coming over the next several years or decades? Do you think we're going to be worried more about sustainability or integrating technology? What are just some of the things that are on your radar um, for future land use efforts? I think um, I think the, the biggest thing that's coming out of the pandemic is that people don't have to drive to go to work. And while commute was really everything that drove the market up here for a long time, being able to have a reasonable commute uh, limited where people could live. And we've proved over the last year, almost year and a half now, that you don't have to be on the road to get to work. As long as you have high-speed internet, you can pretty much work from anywhere. A lot of people fought that for a long time. I think that, uh, that horse is out of the barn. And uh, a lot of people are going to say, you know what, I'm just not going to commute anymore. You know, maybe a couple of days a week, but I'm not going to beat my head in traffic on 66 in order to live in, a, in a, a house with a yard where I can raise my family. I can I can do that at a lower price by being farther out and not have to commute. So I think we're going to have a real sea change of, of land use around here where you're not going to need to have a major highway built in order to have a development be successful. This is great. I really appreciate you so much, you guys. the time to, to speak with us. Marty, thank you so much for giving yes. us your time. Your time is uh, extremely yeah, valuable and, and scarce. I, I know it's a big commitment. I, I appreciate it. Thank you. It was fun. So Look forward to hearing, uh, hearing us in action. Pragmatic Visions is produced and programmed by Allison Beecham, with additional production and editing by me, William Young. You can find our podcast on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, and TuneIn Radio. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.